Hello and welcome to Jedavanaram Buddhist Monastery. Today we meet with a very special episode. Those of you who joined us last week will recall I very unkindly left you on a cliffhanger, didn't I? But I did promise you that I shall reveal something that you have probably all been waiting for. And what a fitting day to do that, given that today is the first time we meet in the new year. A new year has dawned upon us. A new year is an exciting time for all of us everyone all around the world because it is a time when people recalibrate their lives their vision their purpose their goals their ambitions set for themselves new targets make resolves to pick up new habits and put aside old ones. It's a time to rekindle old relationships, old friendships, make amends, move forward. Move forward on a journey, the journey that they began when life itself began. You recall from our very first sermon, I asked this question of you, what is the purpose of life? The purpose of life, I think we all agreed, and no qualms about that, is the achievement of happiness. Does that still hold true in this new year for you? What do you say? Has that changed as you reflect on the past year? Does the past year tell you any different? If you look back at all the things that you would have gotten up to, all the projects that you worked on, things completed and things yet left incomplete. No matter what you would have embarked upon as an activity, an enterprise, you must agree with me, I'm sure you do by now, that they were all done with one purpose in mind, and that is to attain happiness, to achieve fulfillment. So in this new year, people will be setting up plans to do just the same, just as they would have done the previous year, the year before that, the year before that, the year before that, you get the idea. This is not just you and I and other people. From the start of humanity, when people had the capacity to think, when they had intelligence, to make decisions about their lives, to determine the direction in which they would want to lead the rest of their lives. People wanted just one thing. It's the same thing that people want today. And this is fantastic. Because if the goal kept changing, they would be incredibly difficult, wouldn't it? For us to shoot. But the goal remains the same. It is timeless. The times have passed 
And I keep on passing, the years will pass, decades will pass, millennia will pass. But the goal of life remains the same, and that is happiness. This is why we are talking about the Buddha's guide to happiness. What is the guide to happiness? What is the true path to happiness? So last week I left you with something to ponder and I promised you that I will share with you something today. And as I said, what a fitting day to do it. So this is your New Year's gift from me, from us, from all of us at the monastery. All of our monks, the Anagarikas, who will soon be monks in their own right, and every one of us, this is our gift, your New Year's gift. What is the cause of suffering? But before we get to that, of course, we have one thing we all need to do, and that is to pay homage. On the dawn of this new year, let us make a resolve. May by the power of all our merits that we would have all have acquired throughout the past year, this year let us take one step forward two steps forward, several steps forward. Let's go all the way if we possibly can. Why not? Who's there to stop us but ourselves? It is only our follies that keep us bound. Our mistakes are the only anchors that keep us bound to where we are. It is the only thing that stops us from moving forwards. So in this new year, as disciples, as students of the great master, the perfect one, the noble one, the magnificent one, the unvanquished one, the undefeated one, the infinitely merciful one. That is the Lord Buddha. Let us take a moment to pay homage to the Supreme Buddha. And upon that, I will reveal to you what I have promised. Namo tassa. Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Suffering, what is its cause? At this point, I will have to, as it leaves me no other choice, I will have to presume that you will have followed the previous talks, you will have listened to them, and you will have come along with me as we built this argument not argument as in you and I having an argument, but we're building up a, an argument. We're building up a theory. We're building up an idea, a hypothesis that we are logically arguing through in the hope that we may achieve happiness. It is not that you and I are keen on proving or disproving our hypothesis, but rather all of this is just the same reason 
as to why you go through anything in life and that is for the purpose of happiness. So why are we discussing this? Why are we building up this argument? Why are we coming up with hypotheses and trying to prove and disprove and very bringing out various ideas and forms of logic and structure? It's simply for the same reason. So we discussed suffering and what is the cause of that suffering? Now, I expect you will have fallen out of love with pleasure. And even if you haven't, I expect that through logic and rhyme and reason, it makes sense to you now that falling out of love with pleasure is what needs to happen. Perhaps it hasn't happened as yet, but I expect and I hope that you agree with me that this is the way forward. So we know now that pleasure can only be achieved through the function that is relief from vexation, relief from suffering, relief from pain. And so if that pain, suffering and vexation didn't exist in the first place, then we wouldn't need to worry about pleasure or go after it. The pursuit of pleasure would end just there. This is where we have brought our argument, our conversation thus far. And last week, we talked about suffering and like any other conditional entity, there's a causal mechanism which brings about every conditioned entity and suffering is one of them, just like any other. So, as we are all in disfavor of suffering, now what we're interested in is how do we stop suffering at its roots? How do we eradicate it? How do we terminate it? Because once we've done that, then we no longer need to worry about trying to find imaginative and creative, lucrative ways of relieving ourselves from that suffering, right? I mean, it takes away all of that headache, all that effort, that meaningless effort that we'll have to put into, relieving ourselves from suffering and vexation would all be gone if suffering and vexation didn't exist, didn't come into being in the first place. Logical or not? Absolutely. What makes more sense? This makes perfect sense. So, how do we stop suffering? How do you stop suffering? Before I share with you my method, I would like to ask you, how do you stop suffering? How do you work with suffering? What do you do when you start to suffer? Now, at this point, let's dip into our lab of life and try and work through some situations in which we would have suffered and then we would have found some vent for suffering. Because, you know, you've got to accept, and I admit, I'll be the first to put up my hand and say, yeah, that makes sense, that when suffering comes to your life, it's not something that lives with you forever. I mean, you don't suffer for the same thing day in, day out, right? It's different things at different times. As you grow up, the things you, the reasons you suffer, the causes that bring you suffering change. You know, it changes day by day, it changes hour by hour, shift to shift, from day to night. So, there are certainly some things that you already do when suffering comes knocking on your door. 
So how do you chase the fellow away? The principle is the same. Whenever you sense suffering, whenever you experience suffering, correct me if I'm wrong, what you do is try and identify the cause of that suffering. Now I'm talking about the method. Initially, let's talk about the method. And then we'll start to discuss what are the components that make up this method. Okay, so what is the method? When you identify something as sufferable to you, the next thing you do is you identify the cause of that suffering. And then what you do is you, you come up with a plan to take away the cause of your suffering. And once you come up with the plan, now you know that if you were to execute that plan, you would be able to cease that suffering. And then you engage yourself on that plan. You execute that plan. You actually get into it and work your way through it. And somehow you manage to see suffering. Let's take a couple of examples. Say for instance, I'm going to take you back to your childhood days, right? Because, you know, it seems like we've done the same thing when we were children and we do the same thing today. So as much as we like to think that we've matured and we are now adults and we don't do things that, you know, little kids do, you'll be surprised. Let's go back to our childhood days. Say if you were a sibling, so you'd have had a, a brother or sister, right? Let's go back to, or maybe a friend, if you are a single child. Say you had to share something. You had to share something. You didn't, you didn't want to, but you had to. I'll take a very simple example. Chocolate, right? So if you, if your folks, mother, father, some a visitor would come home and offer you a bar of chocolate and let's say you were not the type who was very keen on sharing it with your sister, your brother, your friend. Okay, this is imaginary, but you know, it's not totally imaginary, I'm sure. Right? The majority of, our, of us would have been there. Of course, you know, over time we learn to share and, you know, sharing is caring and all that. But, you know, it, it's, it's not like we've, none of us have ever had that time where we wanted to have it all for ourselves, right? So let's take that situation where your father, your mother, friend, visitor has given you a bar of chocolate and now you want to have it all by yourself because you just, you love it. It's your favorite. At this point, your sibling comes you and now he wants a piece of it. This is not a good time. Why? Because you want to have it all by yourself and someone else wants a share of it. Someone else is interested in your price. So what can you do? At this point you can get annoyed, you, which you probably would have done, and you could deny and say, no, you're not going to have any of it. This is mine. You go and have your own. Go and ask mom and get your own. Why come ask me? Right? And at that point, your poor little brother or your sister would have gotten really upset about it and maybe would have started to snatch it 
from you. Because they think it's their right to have it as well, or at least a share of it, and you're not interested in sharing. Not today anyway. So at this point, let's identify what is the suffering here. So we'll go step by step. What is the suffering here? And then we'll go on to what is the cause of suffering. You see, you want to have that bar of chocolates all by yourself. Is that the suffering? No, surely not. Me wanting to have a bar of chocolates, you know, surely that can't be suffering. So what is the suffering here? I want to have the bar of chocolate by myself, but it's looking like I'm not going to be able to do it. Right? So there's something I want, but it's looking like I'm not going to be able to have it my way. Tell me when you identify the problem. Tell me when you identify, aha, Bande, that's what suffering is about. Have you found it? Let's try that again. You want to have a bar of chocolate. You want to have the chocolate all for yourself. You're not interested in sharing. Today's just not the day. Uh, it's, it's just been one of those days. You're not in the mood for sharing it. You just want to have it all by yourself, right? So you've cuddled up on your sofa. You've got the chocolate in your hand. You've removed the wrapper and you're just about to put it into your mouth and savor it. And then your little annoying little brother comes running. I want that. I want that. Give me some. Right? So is it you wanting to have some, the chocolate for yourself? Is that suffering? No, of course not. So what's suffering? Suffering is, I want to have it by myself, but it's looking like today I'm going to have to win it. I'm going to have to fight someone off. It's going to be war. I'm just not going to be able to have it my way. Certainly it's looking like it because little brother is coming and pestering me. Right? So what's the suffering here? What do you think is suffering here? Now, ignore all the things that I've shared with you thus far, right? And let's imagine that you've not listened to a word of what I have said thus far. This is why I say, let's take you back to in your childhood days when you and I had not met. So you wanted to have that bar of chocolate all by yourself. What's the problem? Is that the problem? No, it's not the problem. That seems like the answer, right? To everything. I'm having a bad day and the answer to that is I just want to have a bar of chocolates by myself and not have anyone come and interfere with that. What's the problem? The problem is it's looking like I'm not going to be able to do it. There's a threat approaching. That is the problem. Okay, right. So we've identified suffering. What is the cause of that suffering? The cause of that suffering is that your brother, your sister, your friend, he wants a piece of it. That's the cause of suffering, isn't it? You want to have it all by yourself, but it's looking like you're not going to be able to do it. There's a threat. Right? That is a, that is a problem. And the cause of that problem is that your brother wants it. Your sister wants it. Your friend wants it. Now, once you identify that as the problem and the cause of the problem, you've now got two pieces of the puzzle, two more left to go. Why? Wow, you've talked about the four. These are the four truths. 
Right? In Buddhist philosophy, you will have come across the four noble truths. Ignore the noble bit for a moment, and then you'll, re- you'll, you'll come to learn, and you'll come to realize that you actually, you've known the four truths all along. You just didn't know the four noble truths. Because the four truths you've known all along, and you've applied it. Whenever you had reason to. So the first two, one, the problem, what is it? I, it doesn't look like I'm going, to have the, I'm going to be able to have the chocolate all by myself. Two, my brother is the cause of that. He's the reason I'm not going to be able to have my chocolate all by myself. So now what do we do? Now you need to find a resolution. You need to find a way to eradicate the cause of suffering. So what do you do? Look, there are lots of choices, aren't there? Go back to your childhood days. What were some of the choices available to you? You could fight with him if shouting didn't work. Right? You could go and complain to an adult, your mother, and say, Mom, look at my little brother. It's just annoying. He won't let me have my chocolate by myself. Can you give him his own, please? Can you ask him to stop coming and bothering me? Can you ask him to go and mind his own business? I don't want to share my chocolate. And he's coming and asking for it. He's annoying. (laughs) You could have complained. That's one thing you could do. And once you identified the ways in which you could eradicate the cause of suffering. What was the cause again? Your brother. So you can eradicate your brother. I don't mean to exterminate the guy, poor thing. No, I mean this specific problem is caused by your brother. So you immediately went into solutionizing mode, planning all sorts of creative and imaginative ways of trying to eradicate the cause of suffering. And then as soon as you planned on one, as soon as you had your mind fixed on one, then you entered into execution mode. You put it into action, didn't you? So, you know, these things that I just said out loud, like, you know, having a fight with him or just kicking him away or shouting at him, chasing him away or going and complaining to your mom, weren't there things that you did? Of course. It only takes you a moment to go back into your childhood and remind yourself. So you see, through that execution, you were able to eradicate the cause of the problem. Weren't you? I mean, most times you probably were successful. So, for instance, if you shouted at him, if you kicked him away, um, that would be a very mean thing to do. But, you know, if you still did that nonetheless, right? survival of the fittest, you know, that is the law of the jungle, not for civilized people, but you know, you were only just a kid, so I suppose you could be forgiven. Or you would have gone to your mother and you would have complained and if she took you seriously, she would probably have said, all right, you know, little one, I'll give you your own chocolate, just don't go and fight with your big brother. And you know, if say mother insisted that you shared your chocolate with him, you know, you probably wouldn't have been a happy bunny. Maybe on a good day, but especially not if you were in a mood. 
that probably wouldn't have been your preference. So once you identified the path to eradication of suffering or the path to eradication of the cause of suffering, you went on to execute that. Now, let's trace our steps and follow this with me. Four things, the four truths you knew about. You were very good with it and no one taught you. This is the best thing. Yeah, no one taught you this. You knew it all along. It was just in your system. It was part of you. It was part of the way you operated. It was, you know, as if it was instinct. The four truths. What was suffering? The suffering was you wanted to have a bar of chocolate all by yourself. That's not suffering. That's not the suffering bit. But it's looking like you're not going to be able to do it today. That's suffering. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that that is suffering. I'm saying this is what we thought it was back when we were kids. Right? So we thought, I'm not going to be able to have my bar of chocolates all by myself today. So that is suffering. That's got to be suffering. So that was the first truth. Second, now you went on to identify the cause of that suffering. It was your brother, your sister, your friend, your classmate, who wasn't prepared to let you have your chocolate all by yourself. So that was the second truth, the cause of suffering. Thirdly, if you seize the cause, then the result will cease or suffering will cease. If you seize the cause of suffering, then suffering will cease. I mean, you knew this. So what did you do? Having identified that the cause of suffering was your brother, you now put into, you, you, you came up with a plan to seize the cause of suffering. You came up with a plan. Sometimes a very cunning plan. Sometimes a vicious plan. Sometimes an evil plan. But you came up with a plan. And once you came up with a plan, you quickly evaluated the pros and cons, right? <laughs> Even as a young kid, you and I, you know, we would have done these things plentiful. Today, probably, you know, we are far too embarrassed to even admit that such was our behavior. You know, because today we are adults and we look back at our childhood and think to ourselves, oh gosh, the things I used to do. How lame. How evil I was. But in a moment I will prove that things haven't changed that much. So, the third truth of suffering, or the third truth. I need a plan. A well-evaluated, well-thought-through, having considered the pros and the cons, right? You came up with a plan. Do I kick him and then be punished? Actually, that won't work then. I'll just go and tell my mom. So, you had a plan. And then, finally, the fourth truth. You executed that plan. You put it into action. And in putting that plan into action, what you expected was for the cause of suffering to be removed. You see, it wasn't suffering that you wanted to remove. The plan is to eradicate the cause of suffering. It's always the case. Isn't it? You know, you never try to put out suffering. You always try to put out the cause of suffering, even if you misidentify it. You want to have the bar of chocolates by yourself, 
it's looking like it's not going to be possible today because your brother is the cause. So now you came up with a plan to take out your brother. That was the plan that you put into action. I'm using a very simple example because I want as many of you to be able to relate to this. I, I do understand and I appreciate it and I know that there are very young listeners who join us from around the world as well, as well as the adults. You know, we have, I think, listeners from 7 to 17 to 70. So I'd like to appeal to our young listeners as well, because, you know, it's, it's quite praiseworthy that they are attempting at least to try and follow this series of talks and try and achieve what perhaps their adults, their elders have left for so long. So that's why I'm giving, I'm coming up with really simple examples. And I would like you, I invite you, the adults, the more intelligent among you, to do the same. Come up with your own examples. You don't have to just work at, look at me working through one sum and think, oh, that's the best that we can do with it. Of course not. It's just like how you did math at school. When your teacher would put up a sum on the board, right? you looked through that, you learned it, and then you realized, well, actually, if the principle stands true, then this should work for any example. And then you went on to work through your own problems, right? The, the sums that you work through today, your additions, your multiplications, your divisions, and your subtractions, you know, not, you, didn't, you didn't work through all of them at school. You learned the principles. And once you learn the principles, then it's totally up to you to apply those principles to solve your own problems. That is the Buddha's guide. He only shows the principle. The application of it is down to you and I. It's a very individual thing. It's a very personal thing. Because we have our own personal problems. But the principle stands true. It's like anything in life. So anyway, coming back to our point of discussion. The four truths. Right? So the path or the method that you executed was always to take out the cause of suffering. Because when the cause of suffering was taken out, was exterminated, was eradicated, uprooted, you knew that suffering would solve itself. That suffering would be no more. Now, think about it. Isn't this how you always work through problems? It would be very silly, wouldn't it, to think otherwise? So that's an example from your childhood. Let's take one from adulthood. Let's imagine you want a new car. And it's not just to go places because you already have one, right? That does the job, it's a fine old thing. And it's, it's, it's fantastic. You've got a car already, but you want a new car because, you know, there's a new model out there. Uh, it's got the latest gadgets and, you know, it's, it's a fancy car. And you want it because it makes you feel good. So it's not utilitarian, but rather it's for the purpose of pleasure. You want it. Now, when you want this car, do you see that wanting the car is your problem? Is wanting a car pro a problem? You would only be a madman who would think like that, wouldn't it? Or would it? <laughs> Let's come back to that. 
I'm giving a little teaser. But it seems like wanting a car is not a problem. But when you want the car and you don't have it, that is the problem. So not having a car is not a problem, is it? Wanting the car and not having it. So not having a car when you want it, that is the problem. Because for someone who doesn't want a car, having a car could be a problem. So in other words, whenever you want something, the opposite of it is the problem. Agreed? I'll repeat. Whenever you want something, or someone, or something to happen, the opposite of that, as in, when it's not with you, when it seems like you can't have it, when it seems like it's not going to happen, or when it seems like that person doesn't want to be with you, that seems to be the problem. Because when that's the problem, you immediately, with no listening or understanding of the Buddha Dhamma. You don't need this. You don't need to understand any philosophy for this. Because you did it right when you were a kid. Who taught you philosophy then? Which philosophy class did you take then? No, it was just instinct. So instinctively, you identified the problem as being, I don't have what I want. Right? So when you don't have what you want, in this case the car, now if that is the problem, then what is the cause of the problem? Well, the cause of the problem is it may be that you just don't have enough money. So you want the car, but you don't have enough money. You don't have the money for, to pay for it. Now, when you identify that as the cause of the problem, now you need to identify what, what's next. You've got two pieces of the puzzle. I want a car, but I don't have it. That's the first piece. Second, what is the cause of that? Well, I just don't have enough money. Because had I had the money, I would have bought the car. And problem solved, right? So I don't have the money. Therefore, I don't have a car. Right? So I don't have the money. It seems to be the cause of the problem. Now what's going to happen next? Well, now we move on to the third truth. This is truth. This is, these are the four truths that come to you instinctively. What is the third truth? Well, if I don't have money, I just need to find some way to get hold of some, to get some, to earn some. So you need a plan for that. Because you know, if you seize the cause, then the problem shall go away. Right? Seize the cause, and the problem shall go away. So if you find a way to acquire some money if you try to if you find a way to get hold of some money then you know that you'll no longer be in this situation of i don't have a car because that seems to be a problem that is my problem so now you need to go about finding a method to take in out the cause of the problem the cause of the problem being what i don't have the money so, for that, well, you have banks that give you loans. You have credit cards and you can buy the car on your card. Right? You could borrow some money from a friend. Some people would go and steal. Now, think about it. See, 
This whole world seems to be built on the premise that these are the truths. You see, people, they have, we have banks. What do banks do? I know this because I used to work in one and I used to sell loans to people in my lay life at some point. I used to sell loans to people. So I, when people would come, come up to me and, and explain to me that it would be nice for them to be able to drive their own motor. A new motor would be nice for the new year, for Christmas, right, for the birthday. Then we would discuss their options and uh, offer them a loan. So banks are available in the world because it, has, it is systematic. It, is, it has become institutionalized that this is the path to the cessation of the problem. So the world is built around these four truths. Suffering, cause of suffering, eradication of suffering, and the path to the eradication of suffering. So what is the suffering here again? I'm going over this because I want you to really and fully understand this. What is suffering here again? I want a car. Is that suffering? No, 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 no. Wanting a car is not suffering. I mean, do they address that at the bank? Where, does, where do they address that? I want a car. Help. <laughs> who, would you, who could you go up to? And which, which company could you go up to and ask them, I want a car. Can you help me not want a car? Which website would you, could you go to? Now, you can't bring in philosophy here. Yeah? I'm not talking about Buddhism or, or any other philosophy that addresses that as being the problem. You've got to ignore that for a moment. I'm showing you what is this world built on. What is the premise upon which this world, this, what is the foundation of all things you see around you? The foundation is these four truths. Are they the four noble truths? No, you've got to take out the noble part. These are the four ordinary truths. The very ordinary. Ordinary people believe that this is the truth. So, I want a car. That's not a problem. I don't have it. That's the problem. Now, that's the problem. So, what is the cause of the problem? The cause of the problem is, I want a car and I don't have the money to buy a car. That is the cause of the problem. So, if that is the cause of the problem, then you need to find a way to have yourself, earn yourself, get yourself the money to buy a car. And for that, you have lots of different options. And once you've identified the option, next up is to execute that method. So you'd go up to a bank, meet your manager, the bank manager, and you apply for a loan. You get the money. Or you get your credit card. Or you borrow some money from your friends, from your family. Or, if it comes to it, some people do the terrible thing of stealing. So, what happens? Now, let's say this someone, you know, the likes of you would have done it the virtuous way, the right way, not the wrong way. So, it may be that you would have gone to the bank and applied for a loan and you got your money. So, now that you found the money, it seems like, doesn't it? And it, it, it honestly, it feels like you're on the path to cessation of suffering. Does it not feel like that? When you're walking up to the bank, 
sitting down for that appointment and you know you go through the application process and then at the end of that I go oh Mr. Smith I'm really pleased to announce to let you know that the loan has been fully approved and you can collect the money in 24 hours it'll be in your bank account sir those words all those sweet words many a customer has said that to me all those sweet words so it seems like when you're going through that application process and we you know when you're trying to get hold of that money, it seems like you're on the path to cessation of suffering. Does it not? It genuinely feels like it. So, you got the money. Now, what was the money for? What was the money going to be able to do? It was going to be able to, or it was able to, take out the cause of suffering. Because that is what the path is for, right? The path is to take out the cause of suffering. Not suffering, but the cause of suffering. Always, it's always that. The path is always to take out the cause of suffering. Because taking out the cause of suffering will, in its own right, cease suffering. You don't need to do anything to stop suffering. It's always taking out the cause that stops suffering. So what is the cause here? I just don't have enough money. What is the path to obtain money? So once you've got the money, now you can pay up and you can buy the car. Once you got the car, now that problem is solved. Because what was the problem? I don't have a car. I want a car. Is that a problem? That's not a problem. What's the problem? I want a car. I want a car, but I don't have the money. Right? So that was the cause. If I had the money, then I would no longer be in the problem of I don't have a car because I could just go and spend it and buy the car. So therefore I need a path to be able to get the money and that is the loan. Now think for a moment, wasn't that the same thing that you did as a kid with that bar of chocolate with your little brother? You know for all those grey hairs on our heads, ladies and gentlemen, for all those years we've matured, for all we call ourselves adults and, you know, little ones, kids, you know, they're, they're kids, they do kids things, we are adults, we do adult things. But the principles are the same, aren't they? Because we never learned, we never realized a different truth. Instinctively, we knew the right thing to do, or at least what we thought was the right thing to do. Instinctively, we had four truths, suffering, cause of suffering, eradication of suffering, or cessation of suffering, and the path to cessation of suffering. Instinctively we knew that, and instinctively we went with that plan. And it almost always seemed like that plan worked. But here's the thing. So I've given you two examples there, right? You can come up with any number of examples, absolutely any number of examples, and I invite you to do that because that is what I expect from you as you listen to these talks. I can't give you every example that, that would be fitting and would relate to everybody on this, listening to this program, and you know that you, you should accept that. It's, it would be unreasonable. But as I share with you one or two examples, you need to actively dip into your life, this is your lab of life. 
and pick out experiences of your own and apply these principles and see, hey, isn't that true? Isn't what Bhante just shared, is, you know, that seems to be true. It's, that's what we did time and time again. I'll give you one more example because I'm feeling generous. It's a new year anyway, isn't it? So, feeling generous. Let's say someone says something and it hurts your feelings. You don't like it. You don't like what they said. Right? So, what's the problem? The problem is, they said, someone said something I don't like. That's the problem, isn't it? Or is it? Ha, we've come to that. For ordinary folk, for ordinary folk, what's the problem? He said something I don't like. He said something I don't like. I, I just don't like it. It's very offensive. I found it very insulting, very humiliating, very degrading. I just didn't like it. So that's the problem. What is the cause of that problem? The cause of the problem is he, it's him. He's the cause of the problem. She, she's the cause of the problem. Him saying it or she saying it. That was the cause of the problem. Now, if that's the cause of the problem, what is the solution? Well, if the cause be taken out, then the problem would be taken out. You know this, and therefore you need a path. A path for what? To take out the cause. Not the problem, to take out the cause. This you knew instinctively. You never try to take out the problem. You always try to take out the cause of the problem, which is absolutely wonderful, because that's where we are going to. That's where we are heading. For all the times that you got it wrong, right? But that habit alone would be quite handy as we start reflecting on this in the right way. Because you never work with the problem, you always work with the cause of the problem. And that was, that's wonderful. Because this is what we need to do once we realize the four noble truths as well. The Buddha talks about the path to cessation of the cause of suffering. He doesn't talk about the path to cessation of suffering. He talks about the path to cessation to the cause of suffering. Because once the cause is taken out, you don't need to do anything else to stop suffering. Remember we talked about the fire example? Right? Throwing water at a fire does what to it? It takes out the cause of the fire. And once you take out the cause of the fire, then the fire ceases. So likewise, someone says something to you, you don't like it. Now, what's the problem? Something I don't like has been said. That's the problem. What is the cause of that problem? Well, this is a guy who said it. It's what he said. It's, it's him and it's what he said. It's, it's she and what she said. So what do we do? Now we need to sort it out. Sort what out? Sort him out. I need to sort her out. Tell him a new page. Right? So you go and have a, have a few words. Why do you say that? Why did you say it like that to me? I don't like it. Don't say that again. Right? Don't you dare say something like that to me again. Apologize. I want you to apologize just now for what you said. Take it back. <laughs> it's so funny, really. Two things. Funny. One, looking at how people still react to things in such childish manner. 
Why do I say childish? I don't mean it in an offensive tone. It's because that's what we did as children. So if adults do the same thing, then you, you can't say that's an adult way of sorting problems. It's very childish. Because as children, we did the same and no one taught us to do it that way. It was instinctive. It was instinctive. Right? So that's a very childish way of sorting things. So that's one reason. And secondly, it reminds me of my olden days. Funny and embarrassing at the same time. Pitiful, as I think to myself. What was I thinking? When someone said something that I didn't like, I remember days when I would go up to them and say, don't say that, take that back. How dare you say something like that to me? If you ever do like that again. Right? And all these threats. Why? Well, because I identified the cause of the problem as being the person. And them saying it. What was the problem? Someone said something I don't like. If that was the problem, then the cause of the problem was, here's that someone and he's saying it. So, now I need to find a method to free myself from that problem. That person needs to be taught a lesson. He needs to learn not to be, not to say something like that again. And he needs to be punished. These were the methods. And then finally, once I identified the method, what was next? It was the execution. So, you and I and everyone, ordinary people as we were, we went about solving that problem in very ordinary ways. We never allowed us to move from ordinary to extraordinary. Extraordinary people don't solve problems like that. Extraordinary people don't see the problem the same way that ordinary people do. They see a very different problem. Their problem is very different. Their cause of the problem is very different. Their cessation of the problem is very different. And their path to cessation of the problem is very different. Of course, because they're all linked to one another. If the first is different, then goes without saying. The remainder, the remaining three, have to be different. But there is some merit, as I have explained to you, in this approach that we took. I wouldn't agree that the four truths we identified correctly, right? We have, we have, we'll we come on to that in, in a moment. So the four truths we didn't identify correctly, although we thought back then that this, these were the four truths, and therefore you know, I mean, we never even doubted it. We never had any suspicions. We thought, you know, these are the four truths. And so we went with it. Instinctively, we knew it. No one taught us. We didn't learn it off a book. Uh, we knew it. It was an eye for an eye. Someone says something you don't like, teach him a lesson so he doesn't do it again. Stop him from saying it. Ask him to apologize. Take it back. <laughs> if it's already been said, what's the point of taking it back? Then just think about it. People are so funny. When I say people, in there first was my old self. I would have walked up to people and said, take that back. I mean, just think about it. Is there any meaning to asking someone, to demanding someone to take something back that they've already said? 
I mean, is it like you, you can actually take back those words? You've already heard them. Can you unhear them? <laughs> oh, the mind works in very funny ways. As I said, you know, you are the creator of your own suffering. These are things we need to understand on this, on this journey to our redemption, our freedom, our liberation. We create our own suffering. Sometimes you'll have another argument about them not willing to take back what they said. So what has been said was a problem in its own, on its own right, and now they're not willing to take it back. And that's another problem. So let's solve that problem first, and then we'll come to what you said. <laughs> been there, done that, worn the t-shirt, are you saying? This is the nature of ordinary people. Ordinary people solve problems in very ordinary ways. Therefore, they always remain ordinary. It's extraordinary, isn't it? How ordinary people try and solve these problems. That is extraordinary. So, the four truths rightly identified. Why do I say there's a problem with this? Why do I suggest even that there's a problem with this? You see, the thing is this, if you are able to solve a problem correctly, rightly, completely, then that problem should never return. Would you agree? I mean, otherwise it's not solving a problem, is it? If the same problem keeps coming back, would you say that you've solved the problem? Think about root cause analysis. Uh, when we study business processes, and business systems, right? Even IT systems, problem management, you know, in ITIL and various frameworks and so on. If you didn't, I'm familiar with, or you know, it applies to any discipline. Problem management, root cause analysis. What, what is the very reason we do root cause analysis? We do root cause analysis to prevent the problem from recurring. Has it happened for you? So when you fought off your brother as a young kid, right, that day when he came after your chocolate, or when you went and complained to your mother, did that stop from did that stop the problem from ever occurring? Did he never come back? Was it not your sister the next time? Was it not your friend the next time? Was it not your classmate the next time? Or, or your neighbor next time? There was always someone or something that came. And sometimes the same person time and time again. Until maybe you just go fed up and go, that's it, I just don't want chocolate, you have the lot. That was just, that was giving up, but not truly giving up. That was more than giving up, that was fed up. That was not true giving up, that was not realization. Because as you said, you know, Buddhism is not about giving up. It's about realization. Giving up, getting fed up, you know, these are not answers to problems. Because these are things that you do externally. You know, they look like the right thing to do because, because from the outside, you know, problem seems to go away. People stop complaining. People stop having an issue with you. But internally, you still got a problem. It didn't go the way you planned. It didn't go the way you wanted. You still want it, but you're fed up of it. So you want peace of mind more than you want the chocolate. Therefore, you just go, you know what, just have it. I give up. If you were in an argument and someone 
is not willing to take back what they have said. Someone says something you don't like and now they're not willing to take back what they've said. Right? You might try and argue with them once, twice, a couple of minutes and then you go, you know what? Have it your way. I give up. To onlookers, it might look like you've done the noble thing. But have you really? Well, you know what? Externally, it looks like you've done the right thing because you were the better man. You gave up. But internally, you're still suffering because it's not how you would have preferred it to go. Because inside, you still prefer, well, you know what, really? He's a... you know the word. He really should have agreed with me. He really should have taken it, taken it back because it was just so rude of him to do that. It was very impolite. But, you know, I, I just gave up in the end because it was pointless me arguing with him. The guy just didn't want to listen. But internally you are still suffering. So internally you still haven't found your peace. Internally you still haven't achieved happiness. Internally you are not content. You are not satisfied. You are not fulfilled. So what's the point? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's much better than continuing an argument and, you know, ending it, you know, taking one's life. Oh, that's, you know, it's, it's way better to give up an argument than, you know, just pushing the boundaries. But internally, you're still not happy. So if you're still not happy, then has the problem been solved? By following these four truths, have you been managed to solve any problem fully so that it would never resurface? Ask yourself. The car, right? You went and bought the car, you got it on your you got a loan for the you got for, for your money, and then you bought the car. Now the car's yours, right? So are you telling me that you'd never want another car and it's not gonna happen again? where you're going to have to go through the same process again. So is that problem management? Was that root cause analysis done? Was the problem uprooted at its root? Was it solved at its root? Certainly not, because the problem still remains. It'll, it's just a matter of time before it comes back to you, and then you're back to square one. So what was the point? What was the point? It's like a half-baked cake. You can't eat it because it's half-baked. And you can't throw it because it's cake. <laughs> right? So, you know, when you follow this, this, these four truths that came to you instinctively, not something you learned through Buddhist philosophy, not the Buddhist's method of solving problems, not the four noble truths, but rather the four ordinary truths when you follow that method of problem solving, the problem never goes away because you really haven't solved the problem. Why? Because you haven't identified the true problem. That's Because at its roots, the problem still remains. And because the problem still remains, it keeps on growing. Keeps on growing. So you keep on solving. That's not problem solving, is it? That's more like pain management. You manage the pain, 
But the problem at its roots still remains. What's the point? You can keep on doing this day in, day out, all, all life long. You'll never be happier. You can never become a happier person. You can, you're, because you're not getting anywhere. You're just chasing your tail like an old dog. Never you're going to get anywhere. But you can't stop yourself from doing it either. Just like that cake, half-baked. You can't stop yourself from doing it because of the suffering that's brewing inside. But it's pointless doing it because it's not taking away the problem. So what do you do? Is it not time you understood that the four ordinary truths is not the answer? These truths that seemed, apparently seemed to be the, the problem, the cause of the problem, the cessation of the problem and the path of cessation of the problem. While superficially it seemed like the answer was never truly the answer, when you went and had that argument with that guy and you asked him to take his word back, let's say, let's say he actually did take his word back, right? Is that never going to happen again? What guarantee do you have? That the very next minute someone else is going to walk up to you and do the same, and how are you going to feel then? Just the same way. You'll just go, not again. Hey, you, take it back. Take that back. Right now, just take that back. You know, I'm just not up for it today. I've just had a really bad day, right? Someone's already gone through that once before with someone and I'm just not up for it, mate. Just take it back. <laughs> before I tear you a new page. Or before someone gets hurt. Right? So does that solve the problem? problem remains unsolved. Why? Because you haven't identified the truth. These four truths, which you seem to think are the right truths, are not the right truths. Therefore, they are no longer what? If something you held as true is no longer right, then can you any longer call them true? So they are no longer truth. What is it then? It's false. So now, what are you left with? What are the truths of life? What is the truth? What is the truth? The four ordinary truths are not the truth. That is why I would like to present to you the four noble truths. Now that you understand why we need to look at the Four Noble Truths. We are in a good position to start our discussion about it. Because it's pointless, I, I believe, and I, I think you'll agree with me, for me to just sit down and start talking about the Four Noble Truths, when you are not prepared to give up the truths that you seem to think work for you. When you hold something true already, I can't present to you something that is also true. Because then we have a competition. Your point of view and my point of view. But when I have proved to you that these four truths that you seem to have thought were the truths, 
And I'm not, you know, this is not a go at you because, ev- you know, ordinary people, everyone, myself included, I seem to think that that was the truth. But it's not the truth. Because if, it's, if it were the truth, then it should be able to solve the problem. But no problem thus far has ever been solved by applying the four truths, the four ordinary truths. Every problem has simply been managed temporarily, much like pain management. That is not treatment. Because if you treat a problem, it should not resurface. You take it out forever, once and for all. That has not happened as yet with anything in your life. And it won't until you identify and understand the four noble truths, the four extraordinary truths. So where does this bring us? I promised you, I will present to you the true cause of suffering. And today we have discussed the four ordinary truths. Why did we discuss that? Because I wanted to prove the falsehood. I wanted you to understand that it does not hold water. It is not essenceful. It is not meaningful. You know, we need to look at something else. We need to look at something, something better, something improved. It's time we give up on that. The four ordinary truths. And we start looking for something more substantial. Something for more meaningful. And therefore, I'd like to present to you the four noble truths. The four extraordinary truths. Your understanding of the Four Noble Truths will, absolutely will, put a stop to your suffering. And that is the connection to where we started this conversation. I promised you, I will show you the cause of suffering and how to bring that suffering to to an end, how to cease that suffering. It is because of one's ignorance of the Four Noble Truths that one suffers. So therefore, once you understand the Four Noble Truths, you will no longer suffer. Once you realize the Four Noble Truths, you will no longer suffer. Why? Because what is the Four Noble Truths all about? It's about suffering. It's about the true cause of suffering. It's about the true cessation of suffering and it is about the true path to cessation of suffering. So if you understand that, how can you suffer? Because one who understands the cause of suffering and one who understands the cessation of suffering and one who understands the path to cessation of suffering is not just going to be sitting on their backsides thinking to themselves, well, I know it. I'm just going to not going to do anything about it. I'll just continue to suffer. We didn't even do it as kids. It's very unnatural because the mind doesn't work like that. As soon as the mind identifies the true cause of suffering, it will automatically, immediately start to work towards its salvation, towards freedom, towards liberation. It is not something that you need to do forcefully. It's a very natural process. So allow that to happen to you. That's why I say, right from the start, this is all about realization. Once the mind identifies, once you identify the true cause of suffering, you cannot stop yourself from redeeming yourself from suffering. It will just happen automatically. It will happen. 
All you need to do is realize the truth. What truth? The four noble truths. We'll continue our conversation next week. So that is our gift for you this new year. So before I conclude, I really hope that this new year takes you ahead on this journey to achieving your liberation, to achieving your happiness. And I hope in this new year, you will find, you will realize the truth about yourself. All your life, it may be that you have followed a path which seemed to be true, was an apparent truth, but in the end, today, perhaps you have begun to realize, at least have begun to realize, that you know, what you thought was true was simply just for a falsehood. There's no essence, no substance to that. But today we embark on this journey. We take another step forward. And, and, and what a great time to make a resolve, a determination in this new year. May I understand and realize the Four Noble Truths. May my loved ones, my family, my friends, all those who helped us, all the people who we transfer merits to, which we will be doing in just a moment, may they all understand the Four Noble Truths. May they all realize the Four Noble Truths. Because it is in, there, in that realization, that realization in itself is the answer to all suffering. So on that note, let's take a moment to transfer merits to all those who have helped us throughout the past year and to all those who have always been with us and who will continue to be with us in the new year and the years to come. Because without them, life would be so difficult. Realizing the truth would be so incredibly difficult. And it is with their help that we move one step at a time to achieving the ultimate bliss. So, let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters, who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. And let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and all other monks resident at this monastery, as well as all the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others and inviting others to join them. And may, through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. May to the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of their own merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those of you who have passed on their know-how. Provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, and pass on their well wishes. May to the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers and fathers, 
husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employees and employees, and to all those who have helped us and supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form, and by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to the Devas and Brahma, spirits and demons, and primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities, who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhu Sasana. Let us also transfer merits to our guardian deities, who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may to the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. And may they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds and fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all those who have been our families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara, and to all those who have helped and supported us and assisted us in every way they could. Let us also transfer merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives and continued to protect the peace and harmony of our nations, and may, who have, and may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, Rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us also transfer merits to all those who have lost their lives to the natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides and the pandemics, including the most recent and prevailing one, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been our friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. And may they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, let us all resolve that may, through the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may, through the power of all the merits we have acquired today, you and I and everyone who has helped make this program a success, become an arahatan vahanse and arahat mehanin vahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sad, sad, sad. And on that note, we will conclude today's talk, wishing you the very best in the new year. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.